Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
a shot of love out to Ray, um, especially in the intro. He says, I blame it on Nintendo. Talking about uh, LeBron forming a super team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Classic, classic RG, RSG radio. Yeah, that's crazy. That's 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's wild to think about it. <laughs> Yeah, I was a faithful listener back then, listening to you guys, man. Uh, back then, I would save up a couple of episodes and then listen to them when I cut the grass. Um, and uh, back then, I had, I didn't have an iPhone, and I had a uh, iPod where you literally had to connect it to your computer and download it onto the iPod. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah, everything didn't change, man. The game didn't change. Yeah. On my right, I got my man D Wills. Holla at the people. What's up? Uh, and on top of the intro, uh, Game Changer, just hearing you follow the intro, I just, it gave me chills, man. I was like, oh, my goodness. It took me back to the beginning. And so it feels good to be in, in the building. We just hope we can get that Rogan type money. And that Rogan just signed hey. Spotify for her. I, I, I'm. We just a little internet could. We just want a piece of that Rogan type money. That's not what we're trying to do this for. But man, the game has changed uh, on this podcast side. I guess there's a hope somewhere for somebody. Uh, but just glad yeah, to you be here with y'all, man. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, let's get into it, man. So we uh, we have quite a bit on deck for you all this evening. Um, we're gonna see if we can jump in. We got two super heavy, like just just like this is like a a a. a like a Thanksgiving feast of uh, topics. I mean, this is some heavy stuff. You, you're going to want to take a nap after we get done digging into this stuff. Uh, first, we got, you know, the NFL. Um, all three of us are going to give our reacts to the proposed plan for increasing, uh, the incentivizing the hiring of uh, coaches and general managers of color. Um, and then we're going to talk about the last dance uh, and the reaction across the board from the last dance, which is also – been, I mean, it was just very entertaining, and the reaction has been very entertaining. I'm looking forward to hearing what these guys think about it. We've talked a little bit offline um, over our group text about things, so um, this is going to be fun. Where do y'all want to start? NFL Ooh. last dance. Let's do the NFL, I think, and the last dance, because the way that last dance conversation is going, we may not get to the NFL. Cool, cool. All right, you should. You should. So you should without the anger management. So we're going to follow that. There it is. We're going to follow there that. There it is. <laughs> I vote with should. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the NFL's proposal. Um, and their whole goal is noble. They want to increase and incentivize owners to hire um, coaches and general managers of color. And that's not a bad thing. Um, in doing so, they are offering or proposing that teams that do hire GMs uh, and coaches of color uh, will get incentivized through the draft. It will get a boost in their draft picks or draft order boost um, of some kind. It hasn't been really fleshed out, at least anywhere that I've read, kind of specifically what they're talking about when they talk about um, preferential draft positioning. Um, and it, that's not a not that's not a, a, a uncommon. Um, concept in the context of the NFL, you get compensatory picks for losing free agents and things of that nature already in the NFL. Um, so, you know, we've talked 
kind of about this um, offline a little bit. Uh, D. Wills, kind of when you first kind of heard about this, what was your initial reaction? It was it was uh, it was a little bit weird um, because I was like, wow, we're going to draft picks, and um, you know, I'm, I'm basically come from a position that we need to do something. Um, and I know we've debated whether or not that was the right move or not. What what I can say is I like where they've settled right now with the adjustments to the Rooney rule. I know they're still talking about whether or not what they want to do to draft kinds of uh, adjustments. But I, I would say that where they settled with some of these adjustments, meaning that folks should be uh, uh, interviewing at least two candidates uh, from outside their organization, um, and expanding that beyond a head coach uh, to uh, coordinator position, the adjustments they made with uh, looking at the tampering rule to allow for assistants to to have access to be able to interview, um, I think that's a fundamentally good decision. The, that they expanded other leadership components within the organization, so positions like executives in communication, finance, human resources, uh, legal, football operations, sales, because those are your executive teams that spend a lot of time with owners and diversifying that uh, is part of it. And so where the conversation started, I, I think, is important. And then another thing, the minority fellowship program, you know, that, you know, obviously uh, LaFleur and Green Bay was going to do anyway, but beginning to develop that pipeline. So where we started our text conversation, where it was just about the draft pick and where they settled, in some of these changes, I like these changes because they're much more the kinds of structural changes that can lead to change. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm refreshed there. Um, and then I got to say for Roger Goodell, when you look at his leadership team, all but one in his leadership team, which a lot of people don't talk about, is either a woman of color, I mean, a person of color or a woman. He only has one person that is identified as a white male. So from the commissioner's office, He's done some things internally. Now it's time for these uh, these owners to be doing. And the other thing that hasn't been addressed is diversifying ownership. I think when they consider ownership groups, they need to be thinking about what those groups look like because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to at the big table. And that part has not necessarily been addressed, but I think these are steps in the right direction versus where they started when we first heard the conversation a few days ago. All right, PhD. Kind of where where are you at? Um, it's sad, first of all, um, that the progress that was made, the incremental progress that was made with the Rooney Rule, um, where you started to see an increase of minority, um, underrepresented um, head coaches in the NFL, how that's backtracked quite a bit in the last couple of years, and now I believe we're down to three that fit that category. Um, I agree with what much that Devon has said, um, that um, it's sad that we need it. However, I am happy that the NFL is exploring some additional options, and they recognize, they are aware that the Rooney rule by itself is not working to the degree that it should be. Um, I heard Stephen A. Smith say that 
there's nobody uh, like like there's no minority who wants to coach just because like like get the job just because they're a minority. And I I agree with him. Like I agree with him to that um, to a certain degree. Um, I kind of look at it as affirmative action in some ways. Um, affirmative action was not perfect. Um, you know when this became um, like came into play in the 50s and 60s and 70s, whenever it did, um, there was a dire need to do something. And you can look at affirmative action and you see a lot of flaws with it. However, it gave a lot of people, uh, a lot of minorities and a lot of people from underrepresented groups opportunities that they normally would not have had. So in some ways I'm torn that I'm sad because it's come to this, but on the other hand, um, especially given how the NFL handled Colin Kaepernick and this entire, like his entire uh, situation, um, like I haven't watched an NFL game in three years because of that. Um, it actually, um, it might be because my expectations are so low with the NFL. But when I initially heard the news, I was more happy with the news than disappointed. But it was definitely a mixture. I dig that. Um, when I initially heard it, again, I'm I'm with you, Phil, kind of after kind of how the response to the to Colin Kaepernick and that whole situation, um, I kind of checked out of the league. Um, for me, this was kind of more of that same line of thinking that I feel like has persisted within the ownership groups of the NFL um, digging into the issue and kind of think and, and kind of digging into it. I, I'm with you. I think it is an important conversation that the NFL needs to be having um, because it's an issue um, within the league. Um, so I think that's a, that's a, a good thing. Um, and I think the league should be trying to take steps to remedy it, right? They should be doing something. Um, what raises up my alarm is that, like, as a black man, I'm kind of like, uh, yo, I mean, they're trying to convince racists not to be racist. <laughs> and so at that point, like, I'm like, I need to continue to stay. I, I need to continue to not put money into that, right? And that's that's been my stance since the Kaepernick situation, right? I'm just, cool, y'all do y'all thing. I'm not giving y'all no, giving y'all no more money. And that's the problem with the NFL, right, and other markets if you have these sort of inefficiencies or you're, you're leaving talent on the table because you maybe are not as familiar with a cultural group or um, this particular sect of this, this particular portion of our social fabric, right? That's going to come back to bite you in your butt because your competitor has the ability to then recruit that talent and utilize that talent to increase their bottom line. You can't lose money if you own an NFL team. You just can't. <laughs> like, ain't no way you're going to lose money owning an NFL team. So there isn't that natural business incentive for owners to think about, like, how can I acquire the talent that I need to excel in this particular field, right? It's like we're going to make money anyway, so I'm going to hire people I'm comfortable with. I'm going to hire people I'm cool with. I'm going to hire people who – if we don't win no games, it's whatever. 
but I know I'm going to be cool with them. I'm going to do my my buddy this solid because in the end, he's going to do my kid this solid or however it goes. The cronyism and things of that nature that exist. Um, and so because there isn't that incentive, right, there, and maybe there are other trends, and this is where you guys can kind of enlighten me because you can kind of see, even in the NBA, which is fairly diverse in its leadership structure, you can see that there's a trend within the NBA now that analytics have become more popular, right? That isn't, unfortunately, an area where you see a lot of former players kind of having a, a strong knowledge base, which is where you get a lot of your coaches of color from in the NBA. Um, and you also don't see a lot of those kind of uh, analytic specialists that are on staffs being people of color, Um you know, MIT grads and folks like that, they're usually pulling those those young people out of institutions that don't have high populations of people of color and they don't have high populations of people of color in those fields, right? And so a trend that you're seeing in the NBA because of the way the game is going on the court and and the way people are thinking about the game, you're seeing less people of color kind of getting in those coaching chairs than maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, is there a trend like that happening in the NFL? That's something that I, I, I want to pose after I, you know, after I kind of wrap up to you guys to see, like, if, is there something else contributing to the fact that there's been this decline? Because for a minute it looked like they was making progress. You know, you had your Dungies, your Lovey Smiths, your Marvin Lewis's. I mean, you had guys who were getting jobs, keeping jobs for a long time, being successful, and then stuff just kind of just – died um and so you know digging into what is actually afoot within the league um but again for me the fact that you have to incentivize what should be to the benefit of the franchise organization is just that's unnerving and that bothers me um also given just the context of the league in general you know what i mean if the league didn't have the history that it had prior to even the last seven, eight years of what's going on in the NFL, if we hadn't had all of that, then this is a little bit easier of a pill to swallow. But given kind of like that on top of the Kaepernick, on top of the Eric Reed, on top of just so many other things that continue to kind of play out in the league around African-American males um, and African-Americans in leadership positions, um, it's just bothersome. I mean, it's just it, it, at this point, it's more of an annoyance because it's a it's a luxury to have to even to be able to even pay attention to this type of stuff. Um, but at this point, you know, I think the league's got to figure out, um, and and they're trying to work through it. So um, I'm initially, you know, my my initial thing is like, man, this is crazy. This is this is this is why we just need to leave the league alone because it's not for us. Um, and I still feel that way, um, but I understand kind of where you guys are coming from. And I also see that that piece of like they got to have this conversation and they need to have this conversation because it's not going the way they want it to go, and they want something different. Yeah. So, um, D. Wills. No, I, 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 I would say, I, I think you hit something real in the head. I mean, I think, I think part of it is, so, you know, when we sit back and talk about the role of institutional racism, the way it's manifested across these sports 
is different. And I think part of it has to do with the shelf life of the athlete and the impact athlete. So I think um, NBA can pivot a little bit more because the shelf life of impact players beyond your, your star is long. And so they have the way in which they're structuring the game, they're able to engage in dialogue uh, that uh, forces leadership to be at the table in a different way than football is. You know, and and I think part of, that's been part of the struggle to turn around is that, you know, even as a powerful voice in football, you know, average time is three-something years, right? And so unless you have strong allyship, meaning you've got to have Andy Reid yelling at the top of the roof why Ben and me's not getting a job, right? You've got to have certain people who got capital yelling some of this out. You've got to do what Arians is doing in Tampa Bay where all of his coordinators are African-American. He's making a concerted effort. You've got to have some of these people who have uh, who have privilege to to speak up and push back in a way. So when LaFleur did that thing in Green Bay, he's like, right, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. He's taking it. And and then, you know, and so I think NFL has that, 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 that mix around some of those elements where it, it, it emboldens all the things you just said up front, Game Changer. It emboldens ownership even more because they got the money coming in. The game is set right. They don't, they don't quite have to go through the kind of discourse the NBA has to go through because of the way players don't have a level of certainty, right? So they're not strengthened and able to respond as quick. And so they have some dynamics. And so it, 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 it's going to require some folks who are in these privileged roles to speak up. It's going, to, it's going to be the Andy Reeds of the world and some of the other folks who need to be good allies. And that, that is sad that we got to talk about that in 2020. But most of these owners are, are in country clubs where, you know, you and I are not sitting in there. You know, their friendship groups aren't like that. And they're norming in a, in a certain way that's reinforcing that uh, institutional racism and unbi- unconscious and conscious bias is part of it. And so, I think those are the underlying factors we just know are there. So then what do you got to do to push that and who's going to turn the left, right? And I think they got some things in place right now that can create some opportunities, but that underlying thing that, like, I think you really putting out is still there. And so it comes up to, I love your response. Your response was an economic empowerment response. I ain't giving no more money to it, which I can definitely appreciate that because that's not normally the response. You know, you you like, I just ain't giving no more money. I can invest in whatever I want to do, and I'm going to invest somewhere else. And I really appreciate the way in which you're approaching that and framing it. And I think, you know, we need to continue to put that kind of pressure in various different ways uh, with the NFL. But the NFL got some different dynamics because of the where the players feel like I think they position to be able to respond. Just because of the way the contract, the life, the shelf life you're there for, Folks are trying to get their money and get out, so they're not they're not galvanizing in a way that I think NBA players galvanize. And, and you kind of see it play out a little bit, even with the one position in the game where you do have some longevity. And we kind of talked about mm-hmm. this in our text group. Is at the quarterback position, you know, Cam Newton is still a free agent. Jameis just got a job, and Andy Dalton was on the show was was on the street for a week, and he got a job. You know what I mean? And he's making more than Jameis, who is four or five years younger than him, former number one pick, 
Um, and so we've seen that happen time and time again where, you know, when black quarterbacks come up, if they're not the perfect type of dude, I mean, Dak is still trying to fight for fight for a contract, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, again, like, that, there's some dynamics there within the league that kind of disempower um, having those folks in positions where they have leverage, they have a voice, um, because there is some traditional thinking uh, around certain aspects of the game that, you know, just outdated. Um, yeah. And they got to they gotta kind of update the whole little framework, man. PAZ, you got any thoughts on uh, any kind of other thoughts on the NFL situation? Nope. <laughs> nope. I'll tell all I can say about this. Right. First of all, y'all didn't cover that, and and I can't talk too much more about it because I may get mad. Yeah. (laughs) I dig it. I dig it. Well, let's get into this next conversation. (laughs) Let's get into this next conversation. The last dance. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's. The Last Dance featuring the 1998 Chicago Bulls. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Tell me what you did. So, 10-part um, documentary kind of covering the last season of Michael Jordan's career, the last season of the Bulls dynasty uh, as we knew it, the Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Phil Jackson combo, closing it out. What started with the Jordan, Pippen, Horace Grant, Phil Jackson combo. Um, And the documentary kind of starts in 98 and bounces back to the beginning of Jordan's kind of basketball career. It kind of treks back up, kind of bouncing back and forth between the many eras in which Jordan's career spanned um, until we arrive at with both kind of points in 1998. Um, so kind of trekking through the history of Jordan's career while also tying that into the development of the Bulls franchise and the Bulls dynastic team, um, again, which featured him, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson as kind of the core members with a few, um, uh, really strong guest appearances from some other people in there. Dennis Rodman, Horace Grant at different points and different iterations of the team. Um, just in general, just give me your first thoughts on the entirety of the documentary and how you felt about it. And then we'll start to dig into some of the reacts of teammates and other people and kind of how we feel about those reactions. So PAZ, I'm going to start, I'm going to pass it to you first. Just your initial reaction. What did you enjoy about it? What did you not like about it? What raised some questions? First of all, it was the timing was phenomenal. Uh, given what's going on with this worldwide pandemic, um, no live sports, um, you know, a de-escalating of uh, a shelter-in-place um, that when this first came out, the majority of the country was still sheltering. Um, the time, the timing was great. The content was great. It was a challenging thing to pull off where you're trying to tell two stories at once. 
Um, from just from a writer's perspective and a director's perspective, I thought it was a tall task, and I thought uh, that Hare and his team did a great job. Um, I learned a lot, so I've read both um, of the two very critical books on Jordan by Sam Smith, Jordan Rules, and then Second Coming. I've read both of those, but it's been close to 20 years since I've read them. Um, so I think as an adult, it was cool rehearing probably half the stories and then, you know, a significant percentage of the stories and storylines. I either learned something new or they were completely new to me. Um, so I enjoyed it. Uh, the things I um, – I can't say that there was anything that I disliked about the documentary in terms of the quality and how it was constructed outside of I want it more, and that's not a fair criticism. Um, that's, that, that's probably a praise. Okay. All right. Um, D. Wills, what you got? You know, I, I would say just – wake up. I, I would say the overall quality – I mean, it, this was excellent overall. It's hard to tell stories. I, I remember when Jalen talked about the Fab Five, it, it, you know, um, and, and, and everything you try to do to try to unpack that story, there's so many layers um, to it. And so to do this is a very difficult task, and to do it when they move up the timeline, which I, I think um, this was supposed to air in June, which, you know, when you're doing production work like this, to move it up to where they moved it up, they were still editing as, we, as they were trying to lay out series. So in that process, there's going to be some things happening. But it, to me, it was on par with the, the OJ uh, docuseries, which was, to me, I loved. It was brilliant. And so it gave me that sense uh, of it. Uh, the other thing I really appreciate, I mean, I think, I think like Phil said, there, there's stuff that you think about now that you're older and you reflect and you look at something in a way that I probably wouldn't have put my arms around it. You know, as a young person seeing Michael at Beloit College in his early years, uh, you know, playing with that team, and, and watching him run up and down the court um, and thinking about who that guy is and then thinking about it now. But what I did appreciate, and I didn't talk about this in our text, uh, was this reinforcement of Michael having, and we talked about this show, that can't-go-back approach. Like, he played like he can't, couldn't go back. Like, part of that, the, the origin story usually starts with him getting cut uh, in high school. But this story actually went back to the real origin of where it started in his family. And, and like, to understand the vulnerability of Mike in a different way and hear him talk about it in a way to be vulnerable, I thought was a, a real good part of, of, of this that I, I really I really enjoyed. The other thing I, I really understood about this is that I need to be like Jerry Ryan's door. How can you go through 10 episodes about the last dance and you're the owner and no light gets shed on you. Like, I need more of what Ryan Sorf got. I mean, he came out of this thing after 10 episodes, and people forgot about he's the one who absolutely signed the check. That was amazing. I said, at some point, they got to talk about Ryan Sorf. But that was amazing that he came through 10 episodes and didn't really come out looking bad where at the end of the day, he makes the ultimate decision. And it was only the last episode where he kind of revealed the tension of keeping the team together. 
That was the last one. Yeah. And he really didn't take a hit hit out of that one. Yeah. Which is amazing when you look at this. So but You're I right. that the storytelling was great. Yeah. So I appreciated the uh I, I appreciated the timing as Phil said. I'm with you on that, like <laughs> given everything that's going on, we needed something. Um to kind of fill some of this 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 time that we have, um, and this was right on. I mean, it hit the spot. I mean, it just it's like a cool glass of lemonade on a summer's day, man. It just hit the spot, um, and the entertainment value was top notch. I enjoyed it to no end. Um, I think um, as as I kind of was reflecting on it and, and watching it, uh, you know, the nostalgia, the music the way they just hit all those notes and kind of keeping you engaged and, and pulling you in yeah. and just kind of, you know, taking you back to those moments um, when certain things happened um, over the course of Jordan's career, his the Bulls run, the first run, the second run, all those things that they had to go through. Um, it just kind of pulled you back into all of that. It was like a time machine almost. Um, so I really enjoyed that and being taken back and kind of being able to reflect and again, think about some of those things that maybe I experienced as a younger person, as an adult and through a, through a more adult lens. Um, I will say, um, it shed light on a lot of things that, and again, when we were talking before, I didn't want to come across like I knew everything about it. It shed light on stuff that I didn't know about, but all the things that it shed light on fit into what I had already known about the people who were involved, right? I didn't necessarily get new layers of some of the people who were involved in the, in some of those situations. Um, but going back and seeing kind of, again, the inner workings, um, my, my favorite, my favorite person in the whole thing was my man, blind Jerry, blind Jerry curl mullet. <laughs> That's what I call <laughs> uh, Jordan's assistant who, who, who took him for the pitch of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Hit him with the truck. <laughs> Blind Jerry Curl that's my dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, with the documentary wrapping up, some of Jordan's teammates, um, I read an article earlier, Scotty's not having it. Um, Horace is not having it. Um, I imagine they're probably not the only teammates. Luke Longley wasn't having it throughout. Um, Australia, the folks in Australia were trying to get him on uh, to talk about it, and he wasn't having it. Um, so, you know, I think one thing that came out of the documentary um, that kind of shed light for people who didn't know this about Jordan, about this part of his personality, you got to see kind of the real, like, nitty-gritty. Like, he was a bit of a tyrant, um, and that didn't rub – that rubbed people the wrong way um, during that time. Um, and even some of that came out in how this was put together. Um, it was very much a child. It was, it was very much of Mike, um, the way people were portrayed and things like that. So, um, you know, this is where we kind of had some different opinions um, in the group chat. Um, so let's just dig into it and kind of talk through it and, uh, Scotty and Horace, let's start there. Um, you know, I'm going to start with PhD because I know Scotty was your guy, is your guy. So how did yeah. you feel about Scotty's portrayal in this, uh, in this doc? Oh, man. So there were two points where I was really disappointed with Scotty. 
in one of the first few episodes, he was like, yeah, I wasn't trying to mess up my summer. Uh, so I had the surgery during, like, in season, that last season. And I'm like, Scotty. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And then, and then also, um, I had I honestly forgotten about um, when he refused to go in the game in the 94 playoffs when Jordan was gone because Bill Jackson did not draw up the last uh, the last play of the game for him. Like, I honestly forgot about that. And Jordan mentioned, I don't know if it was past or present, that that's something that's always going to stick with him. I'll tell you what. I've seen Scotty on TV so much over the last 10 years, that thought never crossed my mind. You know, and so in some ways, that's reintroduced this this stain um, on his record. I didn't have an issue with him, um, you know, complaining about the money and his contract, which I see both sides of it, but I also see a massive double standard that, um, Reinsdorf was willing to re-up Mike <laughs> before before his turn. Uh, Reinsdorf was willing to pay Mike, you know, his bull salary when he was a double-A player with the, with the White Sox. Yeah. Um, but Scotty, nah, like it's two different, like it's two different sets of rules, Mike and everybody else. And I think, um, you know, uh, Horace, some of the interviews Horace has done uh, on Monday, really, I think Horace sat out and said this was all over and then he spoke up. You know, to me, I kind of side with Horace. Like, yo, you know, uh, B.J. Armstrong even said, you know, it had to be more people than just Horace. And Stacey King got interviewed earlier today on Golic and Gringo, uh, uh, Wingo, and he stood up for a Horace Grant. He was just like, yo, when this came out, a few people on the team thought that Horace was the source of Sam Smith, and so and Horace is a man of his word, and he stood up in front of the whole team and said, nah, it wasn't me. So, like, you know, Stacey King was like, as a man, the entire team, or the majority of the team, felt that he was being honest, and Mike clearly disagreed. And, you know, man, to me it underlined why Mike, doesn't like probably does not have strong relationships with a lot of guys he's played with um, because the level of pettiness, the level of um, you know trying to get along with the guys, try, like that just wasn't like he was there to win, uh, you know. But I also understand he was a mega superstar. He had his own security. A lot of times he stayed different places than what the team did. You know, like, it was just a different set of rules. And because it was in the 90s and not now, like, there was no Twitter to follow all this stuff. I mean, Dennis Robin freaking left to go to Vegas during the season. And then, I don't know if it was the 97 or 98 playoffs, this cat just, during the off day, he just, he just did a WWE event. I mean, he was Like, I totally forgot about that. And I don't even know if I even knew about it. I, I'm just like, wow, this is like this is mind-boggling. And Phil Jackson just took it in stride, took it in stride, took it in stride. So, um, I would say that Scotty, 
he needs to hire the Olivia Pope um, um, sports <laughs> spin to get his rep back to where it was before this aired, you know, five weeks ago. Because my man had came through it. I mean, even his ex-wife was standing up for him. Like, you know, so it's like, like Scotty has some, some work to do, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure how he's going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, the Ryman thing, like you knew he was a wild card. <laughs> but this dude was a full-on big joker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big like, joker with all the color in it. Yeah, with a B on it. All yeah. Of them. yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. He was the one you took out the deck. Like, nah, we ain't we ain't using it. <laughs> right. We ain't playing with that. Ain't no jokers in here. Oh, man. D. Wills, what would you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Scotty portrayal, like all those events are facts. They happen. But a balanced portrayal of what he meant, you know, part of it was, you know, Mike talks about him being, you know, most important to him getting six rings. And I think there were moments that could be, I mean, even in the final game, they show him going out. But the fact of the matter is with a hurt back, he was doing work in the post. He was rebounding, trying to make it in the yep. final game against Utah. And I, and I just think that there, there were opportunities to uplift and have a balanced portrayal of him that I think was problematic. And then go, the first time the, I felt like Horace Grant, when I, you know, as a Pistons fan, I felt like Horace Grant was a really important, was that third person. And if you notice, yep. they did not do an origin story on him. They didn't want on Steve Corr. But they didn't do a, they didn't do an origin story on, on Horace Grant. They didn't do anything on his journey to to in a way that they even did for Scotty, right? Which to me seems the Steve cursing makes sense because Steve is coaching with Golden State. But in the context of the team, it, it was more important to do an origin story on on Horace Grant, and and that didn't happen. So I could see if I'm Horace, who was really that third person on the group on that first run, and I believe that as a Pistons fan, Horace was a problem. He was rebounding, yeah. working, and doing his thing to not get that type of, you know, you know, origin kind of introduction in this thing, which basically non-existent was, was, was weird. That was weird. And so then when you start hitting, hearing the stuff around whether or not he was the one who uh, contributed to the Joy Rules book or whatever, you start to see this other level of pettiness. And I think this is where the problem is, is that for Mike, is that Mike don't even get along with Charles Barkley because Charles said something about him being an executive. And they don't even talk. Like, there's a level of this, there's a cost to that. There's a cost to that. Like, what, why are you and Charles not talking? Like, what, what is that all about? And I think some of that came off that, that validates some of the things that Horace and those folks might be might be dealing with, and so they got to feel like they got to get a mic because there's no real full portrayal, which is often, if we start out, it's difficult to do with a doctor series like this, where you know Michael's got to be the star act. Like, he, 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 he's Michael Jackson here in the Jackson 5. You, you know, Tito, I know you want some shine. You ain't going to get it. We understand that. But, but I think that was part of the problem in the storytelling. And I think part of that structurally might have been the fact that they try to pull this together really quick, you know, probably 60, 70 days before when they were really going to release it. I think some of that they had to leave some stuff on the editing floor 
uh, on, on 73. But it just is just to have that much success like they had and to have those relationships be that frail and that in that type is 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 wow. Like wow. Y'all went to war in a, a sports sense. Especially Horace and, and Scotty with them early days of the Pistons. And this is where y'all at? Like there's, well, there's something I, like that that just doesn't sit right. Well the I kinda see why Horace wasn't involved. I I I think in a perfect world it would have been great to have a backstory, but A, you got time restrictions. And B, um, at first I was kind of with you. I'm like, they included something about Rodman. He was a third wheel, you know, with, on the last three P, why not do something with Horace? But I don't think, like, I think the amount they covered Horace was adequate when they're just telling the story of how they got to the 98 season. I think you spend more time on Kerr and Rodman because they are integral in that 98 season in a way that Horace isn't. Yeah, yeah I but like I, if there was I, a player I, they could have gave me more time yeah. on, I wanted to know more about Ron Harper. Yeah. yeah, even Harp. I give you Harp. Harp didn't even get much on that as well. I would say he didn't get but none. I would say that he didn't get none. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm, I'm like, you spent more time on Colin than you did on Horace. I didn't need to know about Peoria. Like, we're not talking about that much time on film. We, I mean, it's almost like the top time. fifty there's, there's list. Lots of you could have cut, huh? It's it's almost like the top 50 list or the snub list for the all-star game. You know, you can say these three or four guys should have been in, but it's like, what do you take out? What right. do you take right. out? I, I think that. Peoria. I mean, it's yeah. a tough decision. <laughs> these, like, I, I know I, what you I take, take out. I take out Peoria. I take out Collins. <laughs> I, I, I had a whole bunch of stuff I would have taken out early on to tell that story. That, that wasn't that hard. Um. Um, the thing I will say, I, I will say Horace does have a legitimate bone to pick. I don't think it's because of the amount of time that he got or not having his origin story. But if he feel like Mike Lattom, he he needs to slap Mike the next time. You see him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he do. Yeah. Like, uh, like Horace, I think Horace has a legitimate reason to be mad. Because even when Mike said that, I was kind of like, wait a minute, man. Like, mm, mm. <laughs> Yeah, when he said, I'm, and, like, I'm like, what did he just say? And to find out he ain't really had no conversation with that man about it. And just kind of – so that's the – so for me, that's kind of what I felt like was, like, my main takeaway was, like, as you said, Mike is, like, a, another level of petty. Um, and that comes out – that dro- that made him what he was. But that comes out and kind of – again, this is, a, this is of him. So, like, that petty essence is weaved in and out of this whole thing. Uh, from the LeBradford Smith story, where he just making stuff up, <laughs> 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 where he just making stuff up, like, hey, this is Mike talking to Mike. Hey, Mike, man, oh boy, said good game to you, and he had a nerve to put his arm around your shoulder. Can you believe that? Oh, he got to go. He got to go. I <laughs> didn't know that that happened. <laughs> right. I'm dropping fifty on him. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I didn't say hi to me at dinner. <laughs> like, right. On, like, why, like, why didn't you go over to say hi to him, Mike? God. Yeah. Yeah. It goes, it goes so, I was way. listening to, 
I was listening to Bomani Jones and Michael Smith on Bomani's podcast the other day, and Michael Smith, he was he was like, I shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna say it. He was like, Mike was high key selfish, like he just was. Everything was about him. Everything revolved around him, and I think that was kind of laid into like everything was about him winning, right? It wasn't about we gonna win this together. It's about I'm going to win, and I need you to not F this up. <laughs> That's right. So because, Scott Burrell, I don't want you effing this up, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to push you. I'm going to drive you. And if you can't handle it, then I know I can't trust you in, in those moments. You know what I mean? And But it wasn't about I'm trying to make you better. I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to elevate you. I'm trying to make sure you don't mess it up for me. And, like, yeah. it's it's a weird sort of dynamic. Like, I have another friend, and he was like, well, maybe if LeBron was like that, JR wouldn't have blew it. <laughs> JR wouldn't have messed up at the end when they tricked off that finals game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Too soon. Too soon. Stop. Way and I was kind of like, uh, I don't Way know what to say. Only been two years. Maybe you got a point. Maybe you don't. LeBron gave a look after the fact, though. LeBron gave a look after the fact, though. Like, like we gonna fight yes, after, but after the fact. LeBron gave a look like we gonna fight. The yeah. look, yeah. the look, fellas. Go that's ahead. something I noticed in this in this last dance that I didn't really realize before. We analyze when LeBron has a look at a teammate. Every game, Mike gives you multiple looks. I watched the flu game or. The, the the stomach or the, the food poisoning game now, I guess it is. I watched that yesterday. And I'll tell you what, man. If you have a question of how good Michael Jordan was, he probably, like, I think he made, he had 30, between 35 to 40 points. I would estimate he made 12 to 14, 12 to 15 field goals. Half those field goals was just highly contested mid mid-range game, uh, mid-range shots. I mean, just tough shots. You may watch a whole NBA game and see somebody make one of those shots. I mean, he, he just – he was just cold. But what I will tell you is one thing I noticed is – and I think now after watching this doc, you know, you ask the question, what do you know now that you didn't know before the doc? I think now when I interpret those looks, it's a lot different than when I was, you know, 20 years ago or even if had I watched this before the doc two weeks ago or uh, like, two, like two months ago. I think now those looks are, you know, those are the looks where if they, like, there weren't cameras around, he'd be cussing at you. He'd be calling you, you know, uh, derogatory names. Um, and the looks, I just always thought they were at the officials or he was even mad at himself. Man, these are looks where he's just, he's constantly disappointed with his teammates. Constantly. Constantly. And these are looks that if LeBron were to do these now, it's like, why are you, like, like we're so much more critical now in 2020 and, and even 10 years ago of LeBron pouting or of LeBron staying on the bench and the rest of the team is in the huddle. All these different things Mike did. He yeah. did them. Yeah. He did them. 
Yep. And I mean, Mike even Mike even told the coaches, take this mf out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Mike would come to the bench and be like, man. get this mf out the game. Right. <laughs> Bill Cartwright. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Bill, Bill was like one of cats where he choked him out. Yeah, he and Bill had mm-hmm. <laughs> he and Bill had an altercation because we some spiritual movement. And that part about it is interesting because, you know, y'all been in practices, practices get heated. And some of that stuff I was like, I don't know how I feel about it, because just go back at him. And it was just it was it, it was an interesting dynamic, but when it spilled outside of the practice thing sometimes, I was like, but I I I, I struggle with that. I was trying to struggle, but there obviously a residual effect on what's happened there that still lingers with people. And those were traumatic experiences. And it's like, you know, Jay Will was talking about it, the cost of winning, right? And Mike's moment when he was like, you know, when he basically came to tears and had to take a break, that it meant that much to him. And I think maybe that's why he's the greatest, right? He's willing to go to that place and, and stress those relationships. Because success means that much, and, and so this is that, this is I, w- yeah. I want to jump in real quick because this is the point that I've made in this conversation with people about who's the greatest and who's not the greatest. I think it's debatable. I think if you say one or three people, if you say Mike, Kareem, or LeBron, I'm not going to argue with you if that's your greatest player of all time or up to, up to this point, right? I'm not going to argue with you. The thing I always, the caveat I always put on people is that if I'm playing, if there's a basketball game being played and my life is on the line, I'm taking Michael Jordan's team note because I know Michael Jordan is going to play that game like his life on the line. Because <laughs> yep. he played every game yep. like his life was on the line. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like, he's a psychopath in that way. And I felt like a lot of what you saw in that doc was like, Mike was psychopathic like a sociopath when it came to winning and it came to competition. And what he did with certain teammates, which isn't fair, which I don't know if it would fly today. Um, It barely flew back then. It only worked back then because he was him. You know what I mean? And he was, there was, he was doing everything that you couldn't, there was nothing you could really come at him about as far as his work ethic, as far as his competitive drive, as far as his attention to detail and all those things that you maybe come back on somebody who's coming on, who's coming at you about, but like sociopaths sense, like they sense vulnerability. And if he sensed vulnerability in you, he went at you until he didn't sense it no more. (laughs) That's what I, that's what I took away. And I knew that like, and again, that's something that I had that sense about, like from everything that I've known about Mike, that that's baked into who he is. And that's something that I thought was just like, yo, this dude is, I, again, you, you put it, I think, well, I don't think, you kind of pointed it out, D, in our, in our group text. Like, I don't think his teammate, you, you don't think his teammates would say they love him. Like, nobody was like, man, I love playing with Mike. Well, oh, Mike, that's my dude. And I think you're right. <laughs> I really do. Um, I really, yeah. I don't think that that's, like, me and Mike kicking it. 20 years down the road, I don't think that's a thing for any of those Bulls players. Yeah. 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 Uh, evidence, Scott Burrell, that brother got a whole other level <laughs> okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Scott Burrell was the only one who came out there like, okay. 
Scott is on a whole yeah. other. And I was like, man, I commend Scott because Scott let that stuff just roll off of him. He kept it moving. Uh, it, it, he just when he reflected on it, he didn't reflect on it in a painful way. I'm like, man, I had uh, he's yeah. coaching what Southern right now. Scott, Burrell. I was like, I didn't even think that about Scott Burrell. Scott Burrell wasn't even on my radar to this thing. But I'm like, I got an appreciation for you because you got you didn't seem to let none of this bother you. Which was he was a crazy. rookie, right? Yeah, he was a rookie. Yeah. So as as we as we kind of transition out of this last dance kind of afterglow, um obviously and throughout this whole thing the the, the Jordan LeBron comparisons have been constantly going back and forth. And for me, that's the, that was the most annoying part of the whole phenomenon because I just get tired of that. Um, mm-hmm. And not, and not because it's like neither one is worthy. It's just like the arguments are stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the way people go about it nowadays, it's like, everybody's like a walking meme, like regurgitating memes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm good. I don't need to talk about Jordan and, and LeBron in that way. Um, but as we go forward and we think about like, how do we understand this conversation around who's the best basketball player to this point? How do you think this documentary influences that PhD? It swings it closer to Mike or even further away towards Mike and away from LeBron. Um, I think, especially with the, like with the playoffs not going given what LeBron was doing at this age before the season was suspended um, and just some things he's done in his career the last few years, I think there was a growing um, generation of people who seriously felt like LeBron was the best they ever saw. And even someone like myself who saw Mike and his prime um, – you know, as a rookie through his path, like, like I saw Mike's entire career. Um, I was even entertaining the conversation that, hey, LeBron has the opportunity to surpass Mike. I would not say that he had surprised, surpassed Mike yet. My thing was always, let's, let's compare once LeBron's done, when his career's done, and let's see where we're at. Man... Um, seeing Mike in this last dance just reminded me of how deadly he was. I grew up as a Pistons fan, too, growing up in Michigan, and it's just, it's almost like when you see adults arguing when you're a kid or the Thunder or the Boogeyman or when you watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street as a seven-year-old and then you got to go to sleep. It's just something in your stomach. Yo, that was Mike. When I was a Pistons fan, <laughs> even the two years yep. before Mike actually beat the Pistons, you it was clear to me like, yo, they got the best player by by a lot. And this guy's making shots, he's getting to the line, like he's dominant. Um it just reminded me of how good he was. Um it also reminded me that this cat took two years off in the height of when he was burned out. Twice. <laughs> and, you know, he did it in 94, 
and he also or ninety three, and he also did it in ninety eight. He eventually came back after he left in ninety eight, and it makes you wonder how many more championships would LeBron have if he took two years off to just get away from the microscope it is to be the most popular athlete in the world. And so I think people say Mike won six in a row. He didn't. He didn't win six in a row. And we can't assume that he would have won eight in a row. You know, we can't assume he would, like he would have went eight for eight in the finals. And so it's, it's just a very complex argument. Um, I'm still on the side that I believe that Kareem and Jordan are the best two that ever lived. I think LeBron still has the opportunity to reach them, but we're not like like to me. It's not fair to evaluate until he's done. His career's done. Yeah, that's that's a, that point about the burnout is and just how because today it's amazing that LeBron has managed to uh, maintain a level of sanity that he has. Man, I don't know how. I I, I don't I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I don't think I could do it because um, the way the 24-hour news cycle and the Twitterverse and the Instagram and, the, I mean, everybody has an opinion on everything that you do. Um, they have a platform to share their opinion, and you, you have a platform to digest it if you want to. Um, hey, that's tough. That's tough. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's some real dope insights right there. Um, D. Wills. Yeah, I was going to jump on here. Those are really good points about LeBron because he was doing that from high school. Whereas, you know, Jordan had a way to kind of burn slow into what he was going to be as really a young adult. I mean, LeBron's been doing that since he was teen with his single mother, really riding with his boys from high school, building this, which is an amazing run. I think that people need to appreciate but about the greatest, you know, I, when we did our uh, list probably early on, remember that list we all did? We did it with our top 50. Yep. Uh, and I had yep. Mike at the top. And Mike is still going to be at the top. And I think this really affirmed that decision. I still make arguments for Kareem. I'm always making arguments for Kareem. I think he just um, – people are not just understanding his greatness um, and how long he had to be great from the time he was in high school. Uh, to his, his time in the league, but but I think it's what you said, uh, uh, Marcus, in terms of if you put him in a room and stare it out, I think he's gonna be the one walking out. He's gonna walk out. The little, if, if there's a battle for the big piece of chicken, he's gonna be eating it at the end of the day. And I think this documentary just confirmed that. Is if there's only one piece of chicken on that plate. In the little room where they're going to be, he's going to be the one to walk out with it. And that is incredible. But what I realize is that there's a cost to that. But the thing that makes it so great is he is willing to do it. If he's the only one sitting in a room with a cigar and whatever he's drinking his hand, feeling that pain, he's willing to do that knowing that he was able to get those chips and able to establish what he's establishing. And so – you know, I, I think that Mike at this point is, is still that greatest player. I do think LeBron has a, a pathway to being really strong in that discussion over the next couple of years. Uh, I do think he has. And then when you add all the other things he brings to the table, 
I think he has a lot to bring in it. But at this point, I, I, I you know, Mike, and this is, I'm saying this as a Pistons fan. You know, I think uh, you, you put it right, uh, Phil. I mean, I used to be like, man, I hate yeah. to see it coming. You know, and so yeah. you know, I can, I can, uh, I can, you, you can appreciate that when you compete on that level. I hate to see it coming. And so, and I know we're going to hold the door closed on him for so long. You know, I was more mad that we didn't get that chip against the Lakers when they called that Phantom Powell of Lambeer because the storyline would have been a little bit different because I knew he was coming. So that that's the part about it. But Mike is still that man, you know. And, you know, I got some cats from Michigan, like, all oh, y'all up here drinking this Mike Kool-Aid. The, the, the deciding factor is that ultimate will. And if I had to put that will up, I'm, I'm, I don't I, – uh, I don't know that too many arguments to make. There's not a higher will to him. That's the yeah. intangible. So, so this is kind of how I've landed on kind of uh, this whole conversation um, and how this particular doc has kind of influenced this. Um, so, like, LeBron is more skilled, probably, pr- probably more skilled than Michael Jordan. Um but the thing I always remind people of, this is basketball and not baseball, right? And baseball, the best player ever from 100 years ago. Basketball ain't like that. We got 18-year-olds who are doing stuff that if you took that 18-year-old and put him back in the 90s, they look at him like he was an alien. You know what I mean? Just because of what kids can do, ball handling, shooting step back threes, sidestep threes, threes off one foot fading away. I mean, kids are doing stuff nowadays. Again, Carl Anthony Towns is more skilled than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Period. He just yeah. can He can do more with a basketball than Kareem. He ain't a better player than Kareem. He ain't. He ain't more dominant than Kareem. You feel me? And I think that's the thing yeah. that I kind of like try to reassess with people. Like, basketball is a game where in twenty years it's gonna be a kid more skilled than LeBron. It might be in ten years. There's gonna be somebody more skilled than LeBron because they got to see LeBron, <laughs> and they got to learn from LeBron, and LeBron got to learn from Mike, and Mike got to learn from Doc. And you know what I mean? And it goes on and on and on. And that's how basketball goes. It evolves and it builds upon. Each generation gets to build upon and copy what everybody else did before them and then take it to the next level. So, yes, he's going to be the the better in a vacuum, the more skilled. He's going to be able to do more things and have these different skill sets that maybe Mike doesn't have because he's supposed to. So that's a wash for me when you go, when you kind of like break it down in that way. Like that's a wash because he's supposed to. Again, Carl Anthony Towns is more skilled than Kareem. Ain't nobody putting Carl Anthony Towns in their top 50 list. Flat out. Flat out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so what it comes down to is, in your era, how dominant were you? And I don't think we've seen somebody as dominant as Mike, who also was as highly skilled in their era as Mike. Russell had a bunch of rings, but Russell was more of a dominant defensive presence didn't really have the offensive piece to be able to say, like, he was a complete force on a basketball court. Kareem had the offensive piece, had the defensive piece, and won. But I don't think we saw anybody do it like Mike. And, Devon, I think you said it best is that he was willing to – he's probably the only player and maybe the only athlete we've seen willing to pay that price, meaning I'm willing to be hated. I'm willing to be disliked by the people who should be closest to me in order to do this, in order to win. And he decided he was going to pay that cost. And I don't know if we've seen another athlete that's willing to fully go in and pay that cost. 
And as my boy said, maybe if LeBron would have been willing to pay that cost, maybe Jr. doesn't make that mistake. Maybe he still does because Jr. was on that cognac. <laughs> he was going off that hand. <laughs> too soon, y'all. It's only been two years. Too soon. Still raw. Still a raw wound for me. Mercy. Mm-hmm. Too soon. But it, not a lot of guys are willing to pay that that price. And maybe Mike wouldn't be willing to pay that flight price in today's climate because everything is so under a microscope and so dissected. And there are 50 million cameras catching everything from 30 million angles. Um, But that's what, when I think about who's in that conversation, he gets a slightly bit more of a nod for me, because again, if it's about the game is about competition he is the best at competition that we've ever seen. And I, I after watching this, it kind of solidified that for me. Like, yeah, this is this dude is competitive in a different way. And I don't think we've seen anybody ask who's the competitor that he is. You know, my little cousin on Facebook today, he said, why was, why was Jordan great? And I, I, I tried to break it down to him and, and saying, like, you could have several people as your goat, and I'm going to be good with it. But the one thing I will say is that if you put Jordan in today's game, he's gonna be he's gonna be great. Why? Because he's gonna figure out how to win. And if he needed to shoot thirty threes, he's gonna be shooting a bunch of threes. Whatever he needed to do to win in a moment, that's what he was gonna figure out how to do. And that's what his that's what his great talent was. And again, I don't think we've seen anybody greater at that. Um, so if he's not the greatest of all time, he is definitely the greatest competitor I think we've seen. Marcus, you put it very well. Um, oh yeah, I, I mean, very very well. I I have to shift here. I know I was the one talking about let's keep the show to an hour. I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> can we talk a little bit about Mike's relationship with Ahmad Rashad? It's something that's always just puzzled me. Um, plus, Mike, like, plus this guy was, I mean, so do Mike and Ahmad have a similar relationship as Ali had with Cassell or Ali had with whoever was the photographer that Jeffrey Wright played his character in the movie? Um, because that relationship, it's always puzzled me. I don't know if if it was Ahmad just, just riding Mike's jock, but then, you know, my dad is always the first one to tell me, yo, Ahmad Rashad was a really good football player. Uh, his name was something else, I believe. Um, but anyway, I, like, I want to get y'all take on the Ahmad Rashad relationship. Yeah, I would now, say, that, say that, that was a piece you know, of information for me. Yeah, yeah. That that part I always knew, but I thought it was like you know two you know two great athletes. You know, Ahmad's mostly probably known by folks as a media personality, but he was an outstanding football player, an athlete. And I think you know you know when you're in these small circles back then, you're gonna come across each other in that way. And I think then that relationship, I think, helped Mike in terms of, 
and Ahmad in terms of both building their career. So I think there was probably some support back and forth. But I, you know, I think it's um, I think it's the kind of relationship you see guys in the media having, you know, with with you know some of the players today. I think that was an early iteration of that because of the fact that Ahmad was was it uh, a uh, athlete football player play at a high level and could have some insight into what Mike was might be going through in a way that Mike wasn't going to have with other folks in the media. And Ahmad was so polished. He wasn't like just an athlete. Ahmad was just so polished. And so, but that, I think that would be, be interesting to understand. We didn't get a chance to understand how that relationship really started, but I just think that that was part of the, probably the origin of their relationship that just built over time. And somebody he could trust who would not spin it in a way that was, for you know, for rating, that, that Ahmad was going to give him a fair shake when he had to have his, you know, space to say what he's going to say. Yeah, I mean, Ahmad Rashad has always been high on my list. I mean, he was married to Claire Huxtable, so there's that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Now, and I, I think you're on to something there, D. Like, I felt like Ahmad maybe had, like, that swag that Jordan tries to put, yeah. that Jordan kind of has. And I'm trying to think. I don't know if there were a bunch of cats covering basketball at that time who were former athletes. Yeah. I'm trying to think in my head of, like, who was, like, covering the game on a national scale Right, because Amar. OJ. Had... <laughs> I mean, he was covering football. Bad, he wasn't sorry. covering hoops, though. But yeah, yeah OJ, right. he was out there. My bad. But as far yeah, as covering hoops, <laughs> as far as covering hoops, like I don't know if there was another. Because I know with athletes, they're always like, "Okay, yes, you're a reporter, but you ain't play nothing, so you can't relate to me." And I don't know if Ahmad was one of those. And again, I'm trying to run through the run in my head of like who was covering games back then. But I don't think any, like you had local guys who used to play who were doing like local color commentary. But I don't think you had anybody on a national scale because Ahmad was with NBC at the time who who had the NBA on NBC, so they had the, like the league rights at that time. So I don't know if there was. I mean, you're right, Quinn Buckner. Quinn Buckner used to do it, and he's cool with Mike, too. Right, right. And so I think that was an end. And, again, with with with, with that connection, like, I think he just, like, Mike trusted him because, one, like, you married Claire Huxtable, which any black man in America is going to be cool with you on that. Uh, <laughs> just off general principle, we good. <laughs> and, two, like, I felt like he, he could connect with Mike and Mike could trust him, like, okay, you kind of get it. You played. You may have played football, but you played, and you played at a high level. So you get me better than Peter Vesey, better than Sam Smith, you know, better than any of the other people covering covering Mike at that time. Um, and then he also had a national platform being kind of the face of the NBA on NBC, right? So – Mike is a national, global phenomenon, and he ain't the local beat writer for the Bulls. 
he ain't just a Chicago dude who's covering him. He ain't local in Detroit or Indiana or Milwaukee. This is a, a big-time media person at that time as well. Um, so I, I think, like, I think that was kind of the crux of their relationship, a piece of it at least. That's at least what I could glean from what I've seen on, on the, in the doc, but and just thinking about yeah, it and trying and to digest it. And Ahmad was going to be traveling in circles that Mike would need to be traveling in. Like, you know, where, where Ma was coming in, in that space, in Hollywood and his relationship, Ma, Ma was going to be in rooms that the average NBA guy was not going to be in them rooms. And that's the rooms Mike was right. in anyway. You know, where you got right. the corporate right. types and some other pieces. Ma's in those spaces because of the situation that a lot of other athletes at that time weren't in those spaces. Unless you were like Magic yeah. or, you know, there were only a few cats in them spaces. And Ahmad helped to bridge some gaps. And I know there were some introductions to stuff and spaces that, you know, the Hollywood types, there's a lot happening there that Ahmad's in space that cats in his locker room or, or most people in the NBA were going to get in those rooms. And that's where Ahmad was going to be. I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, I think you're absolutely right on that. And that helped grow, grow Mike's whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ma was up for broker some stuff in the back. Space Jam didn't happen. around there somewhere. <laughs> you guys are great. I've been wondering this my whole life, so thanks for helping me there. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh man, hey man, this has been dope. I appreciate this, man. And yeah, man, I love you both, man. This is uh this is always fun, man. You, but yeah, man, this last dance, man. Ooh. And so this is also like the level of petty of Mike. Like he needed, he he felt like he needed to make sure that people knew who he was. Like these kids knew who he was. You know what I mean? Like Mike was like, nah, these youngsters finna know. They finna know. <laughs> nah, this LeBron thing getting a little too serious now. These cats talking way too reckless. <laughs> they finna know. They finna know who I am. And I'm yo, Brown came evidence. out and said. Hey, Brian came out and said that he'd be a perfect teammate for uh, yeah. with Michael, and they actually could play together. Oh, you absolutely! Know, I think in some ways, for some people, it will bolster their argument that LeBron's not an alpha dog. Um, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay because LeBron's game, as Devon mentioned, is more well-rounded, and I think you yeah. know he would have been a great two to Jordan, like Pippen was. And also, LeBron yeah, and, if you're be, uh, and, and and he understands the value of paying homage to your elders. Too, you know, there's a there's a piece to that, right? LeBron, LeBron there's there's something to. I, I'm also I, I'm also okay with people before me. I think that's the element about LeBron that people don't appreciate that. It's part of a, a cultural dynamic. Like he, I don't know. I just, I think people have always, always lost that on LeBron. I think he's always had appreciation for those who came before him, and I think that comes out in the way that he engaged with people like Bill Russell, Michael. Like he is not, that's not in him, in that way. And I also think that, I think that's something that he doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think sometimes. And again, this is this is why I get frustrated with these conversations. People take um, things that are actually positive qualities in a human being, like reverence and, yeah. and perspective, <laughs> and they try to make them like negatives. <laughs> like 
<laughs> you know, and that's why I, I tell people all the yeah. time, like, Michael Jordan was a psychopath who chose basketball as his muse, and LeBron right. James is an exemplary human being who chose basketball as his muse. Um, that's right. I love it. And, that. again, I, I would rather engage with the exemplary human being, but if my life was on the line, I'm picking a psychopath <laughs> to win the game. <laughs> but I would rather I would rather I would rather have a world that was built around the exemplary human being. Yeah, I don't want a world yeah, built around up, psychopath. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clean that up, bro. Clean that up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but when Swackhammer when Swackhammer and them aliens come down and the monsters come down, hey, you got suit. Mike got suit up. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you suiting up, man. Fate of the world, bro. Fate of the world, dog. <laughs> Yo, the big suit. Oh, yeah, man. The big suit. Man, Mike can't dress, man. Mike can't dress. He could dress oh, back then. Goodness. Mike can't dress now, man. Mike can't dress now. He, he, I mean, he dressed like he old. I mean, I probably can't dress to these young cats either. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the other thing I always try to put in perspective for, for folks is that, man, in 20 years, we're going to be saying somebody better than LeBron. I mean, it's just how it's going to go. And all you all you 25 to 30-year-olds is going to be out here, man, these youngsters should have seen LeBron back in his day. This whippersnapper, he don't know nothing about He can't. And it's all going to be the same thing, man. Like, just fall back. Just enjoy, just enjoy. That'd be the biggest thing I'd encourage people to do. If you take if you take nothing away from the last dance, it's like it's entertainment. So be entertained. <laughs> like let yourself be entertained. Don't be sitting there hate watching LeBron or hate watching, you know, Curry or Harden or whoever. Man, just enjoy what these cats are doing. Whatever it is you like, football, basketball, whatever. Just enjoy it. Hey, uh, so we just, me, me, me and Mariah just finished The Wire, all right? Um, she's not a big fan of Clay Davis, but loves his whole little <laughs> stick. <laughs> 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 he's shady, but yo, he cool. Hey, hey, man, when he got on that, when he got on that stand, man, I forgot about that, man. When he took the stand at that trial, man, that boy, man, Clay, boy, Clay got him. Clay, man, Clay put it on them people. Uh, anyway, y'all got Brown on him. Yes, 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 he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> I just, uh, I just started The Wire. Um, I haven't, I've only watched The Wire through once, and it was maybe four or five years ago when I first watched it. So, yeah. Yeah, I had to give James Tate a shout out on. Yeah, I had to give James a shout out on Twitter. Yeah, I just, I just finished really? episode one. Yeah, I'm back in it. I said, let me go back. Yeah, man, it's time. worth it, man. It is worth. Like I yeah. watched it, man, and it seemed like I, I, I had. It was like I hadn't watched it ever. It was so. It's so good, yeah. man. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good, yeah. man. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, hey, and, and Mariah was tripping when she saw when she saw a young uh, when she saw a young Michael B. Jordan. She was like, "Wait, who's that?" Oh yeah, I was like, "Look, no right. muscles, <laughs> right. no muscles, that no facial hair, <laughs> just little skinny walls." Yo, I'm waiting for Wee Bay. He like, nah. <laughs> 
Louisville. Right. He got you got another nah. fish sandwich. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll take right. that one too. <laughs> 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 it's like you did the janitor. He was like, Yeah. <laughs> hey. Give you, me man. another fish sandwich. What else you got? <laughs> right. Another potato salad. Oh, <laughs> hey, yo, but what was really crazy though is like when you see a gift. You know what I'm saying? Like like the WeeBay gift where he's like, oh, snap. Yeah. Like when that actually happened, I'm yeah. like, oh, wow, man. That's like, that was like weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember. Um, but 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 I guess I'll see it in the next few weeks. So, yeah. Yeah, you'll see it. Yeah, you'll see it. When you see it, you're going to be like, oh, that's it is right there. <laughs> yeah, man. Nah, I'm going to watch the episode tonight after the show. Yep. Yeah, man, we we started we started like the second week of the whole little uh, safer at home, man, and uh, we've been riding since, man. We just finished, we just finished up last night, man. Just finished the last one. Yeah. Now we digging into Ozark, so. Oh, I love Ozark, man. That is, I didn't think I was. I started watching. I was like, oh, this is off the chain. Ozark is a good one. Yeah, yeah, I had heard about it, and I was kind of like. Yeah, I was a little gun shy about getting into it, man. But we watched like the first two eps, and I was like, "Oh, I'm with this." Yeah, Ozark, <laughs> I can get with this. I love that. My oh my goodness. I, okay. I'm like, what the I gotta start Ozark? watching Ozark. I, I see. I gotta start watching that again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just in, I'm just in the first season, but the first season, man, is uh, it, it, I'm good. I'm 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 in now. I'm in. I'm gonna finish it up. So I'm gonna catch up. Oh yeah, you got to. Then I ain't got nothing really else to do. Got to talk about. I can't go nowhere. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did y'all see what Craig Hodges came out and said? Uh uh-uh. uh That's another one, man. Said. What'd he say? So, so Craig Hodges, he he actually came out and was on the radio, um, on some of these sports talk shows after the first episode or two. And he said he was disappointed that Mike was talking about the cocaine circus of mm, the mm-hmm. first year he was in, you know, with the Bulls. And what Hodges said, he's like, man, that ain't cool. Like, imagine if you play with Jordan, you sitting down with your kids or grandkids, you know, about to watch the last dance. Now you got to answer questions. You know, Mike said the entire room, <laughs> like the entire team was in the room with either drugs or or hookers. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and Hodges yes. is like, that ain't cool. Like like now somebody on that team has to explain to their kids like what like what really went down. Um, yeah. And also I don't yeah. think Hodges I don't remember seeing a shot of Hodges in the entire document Mm-mm. like in the whole doc. That's the one thing I don't like about the NBA man. They act like cats like that don't exist. Him McMahon, Abdul-Raoul, they act like them boys don't exist no more, man. Yeah. Mahmoud is finally starting to get some love, but they act like Craig Hodges don't exist. Yeah. 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 The one yeah. I, I, the one thing I, I tell people, I was like, Horace got, Horace got license to slap Mike on sight, and any other old <laughs> bulls got license to slap Mike on sight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anybody on that team from his rookie and, year? And, 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 and Orlando Woolridge is somebody you want to mess with. Orlando Woolridge yeah. is somebody you want to mess with. That cat was like, I mean, I saw him. I was like, my goodness, don't don't come up on him the wrong way. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, they got like a lap mic on site. You call horse a snitch, and you you put them in a room full of coke and whores, man. They, we got a problem. <laughs> we got now. Nah, we got we got we, we ain't finna be it ain't finna be funny when we see each other. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. She all on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, nah, that's bogus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, y'all gentlemen, got to do this again, y'all. We got to come back. Oh yeah. This has been fun. Oh yeah. I just got a. I got my. I found my old hard drive, man. So I got all the old sound from the old board. I could. I was. I was tampering with it before. That's what kind of delayed me getting on. I was trying to fiddle with it real quick um, before I got on. See if I could put some of the old stuff on the board and get some stuff back up. So I'll work on that. Oh, you got to because that that ass because there was a couple sounds we needed to play today. We couldn't go to I, in my head. I felt like I wanted to press that button, but we didn't have it. So I love yeah. It. Yeah, get some of the sound effects back on there. <laughs> Take us out, Mark. Take us out. Take us on, baby. All right. This is the Real Sports Guys Renegade Radio RSG in the house, closing it out. Uh, this has been a great show. Uh, thanks to PhD. Thanks to D. Wills. Uh, thanks to ESPN for airing the last dance early. We needed that. Um, I don't know what else they got in their back pocket. Uh, I'm going to check out this B. Water, uh, Bruce Lee 30 for 30. I'm looking forward to that. Um, otherwise, man. We're going to wrap this thing up. Y'all be safe out there. Stay away from the COVID. Don't catch that Rona. Um, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, you know, do what you got to do. Uh, but take care. Be safe. Peace. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.